Hello and welcome to Dungeon Talk, the general advice and discussion podcast from D&D Academy. I am Michael and this is Dungeon Talk episode number 42, Death and Dying. In this episode, Caleb and I start off talking about how to make encounters challenging without losing the fun. Uh, What we mean by that is ways that you can build tension and make the challenges difficult, but it just doesn't come down to the creature having such a high AC that you can't hit or it has so many hit points that it takes forever to slog through them all. We basically use that as a springboard to get into what our main topic is, and that is death and dying of PCs in role-playing games. We discuss, is there a point to death? Like, what, what purpose does it serve? And then we also talk a little bit about how you deal with death if you have death in your games as far as at the table, what happens to that player? Do you let them bring in a new character right away? When you do bring in, they come in at the same level if you're playing a, a game that has levels like a D&D game does. Uh, we jumped around quite a lot on this podcast episode, more so than we've done in the past, I think. I did some creative editing, and I think I've made it pretty coherent. Hopefully you will agree. We don't have any new reviews this week, so no reviews on iTunes or Stitcher. I did have, for this topic, when we knew we were going to talk about it, I went on to Reddit as well as to Google Plus and also our Facebook page, and I put some blurbs and was asking people to contribute some stuff to our conversation. And to be honest, we we got more than we probably expected. Very excited about that. The quality and quantity of comments was quite high. I was very, very happy with that. But we got to the point we have so many that I don't know. I don't really want to pick and choose a couple to read. I don't want to read all of them. So I'm just going to ask that uh, if you are interested, please go back to Reddit and look for the uh, title Dealing with a PC's Death on the D&D subreddit. Or if you don't already follow me on Twitter, consider doing that. It's at D&D underscore Academy. You can go back through and I, I retweeted all the examples that I got. And then, of course, if you haven't already given us a like on Facebook, we would really appreciate that you do that. That's Facebook.com slash D&D Academy. So on there, you'll be able to read all the different comments that other people have written, and you can go ahead and add your own. So lastly, thanks again to everyone who did respond. Again, it was more than we expected, anticipated, and it made us very happy to see those. Uh, So without any further ado, here is Dungeon Talk, episode number 42, Death and Dying. So we have a couple different things. I think the majority of our topic is probably going to focus around uh, death and dying tonight. Right. But I think we're going to transition into it, talking a little bit about challenge of encounters. But before we do that, I want to give a little bit of a shout out to, I would pronounce it Landon, but again, I'm from Kentucky and I'm a hick and I can't pronounce a lot of words right. <laughs> but it's spelled L-A-N-D-A-N, so it might be Landan. He sent me a very nice email, as well as a, on a couple tweets saying that our show has helped him get enough confidence to start a game. Hey, so that's basically, awesome. I know. Again, that's pretty much uh, exactly <laughs> that's kind of the point of what we're trying to do. So this is like our first true success story. Um, cool. So he very, very complimentary about the podcast and just talking about how um, we've helped him get confidence and helping him prepare. And he started a game. And I'm not going to read the whole email, but it went very well. 
And then after the game, the, the players basically sat around the table for like another 20, 30 minutes just talking about what they're going to do next and like where they want to go. Uh, and to me, that, that means you got a good game going. When, when they care enough in real life that they sit and talk about the game and they agonize over decisions, then to me, that, that, that tells me you've got a story going that people care about and are interested in. They're not just like, well, it doesn't matter. We're just going to kill everything anyways. Definitely. Yeah, I want to hear more about uh, what he's doing and what he's running. I will uh, actually, I, on side note, I can forward you the email as well uh, so you can see it because, you know, I don't want to read the whole thing here. But uh sounds like a very fun game. I like I like where he started, and I'm just very excited that uh, he took the time to, to write in. makes me feel a lot better and helps me to continue want to do this even when my schedules are crazy and I may miss a nap. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so so let's kind of move, move along here. So the, the first topic that we wanted to cover a little bit was about making challenges more difficult, making making encounters, I should say, more challenging without removing the fun. And where this came about for me is I'm still editing the A New World podcast, and uh, one of the ones that has come out recently uh, is the one where the characters fight the Tersharctopus. And uh, that was the first real battle that has happened on this new game, and I wanted it to be a big deal. I wanted it to, to be an encounter that took a little while and got everybody involved. And so what I did is I made that creature, one, it had resistance, so every time they attacked it, it did less damage than, than uh, full damage. I also gave it a very high AC, and there were a couple times where people missed, because that's what you do when you fight a creature with a high AC. And I had a couple of players specifically say, you know, it's not fun to miss. They would have much rather if I just give it you know, double the hit points I gave it, and I gave it a lot to begin with, or increase the resistance so that they did less than they thought they did even more so. But missing is just not fun. And uh, even tonight, we just finished up our Star Wars game, and we had a new player join us tonight, and uh, I don't think he hit the entire night. Like, it, it was almost funny at the end that every time he rolled, he missed. And you could tell that it was starting to bother him that he really wasn't contributing to to the battle or to the fight or whatever. And uh, he even said after the game, he just felt like he was slowing things down because he wasn't contributing. So I kind of wanted to throw it to you. Like, What are some ways that you can make an encounter challenging without just having people miss, give them higher ACs? Is there other things that you can do to make them interesting or just make them, make them challenging but keep them interesting and keep them fun? So what do you think about that, Caleb? Well, there are a couple different strategies I tend to use. If we go back to the 3.5 edition world that I come from, uh, more often than not, I would slap a template or two onto a monster. And templates were ways to make a, a monster more challenging or give it some new abilities without really changing too much. A specific example... Uh, you had a skeleton. You know, you could slap the flaming template on it. Uh, you could flap, uh, slap the, I don't know, tougher to kill template, something like that. Just ways to keep it the same flavor of monster, bump its CR up a little bit, give it maybe a higher attack or some extra damage that it could do. If we were playing against an actual NPC that I had built, you know, at that point I'm going to scale them to the combat, so I'm of the PCs, I should say. So I'm going to give them a pretty good hit point and armor and weapon ratio to what the players are doing. 
more often than not, though, what I found myself doing recently is simply tweaking the monster as it is. You know, leave off the armor or the javelin that the bugbear might be carrying to make it slightly less of a threat. Bump the hit points up a little bit to make it stick around longer, to make it last longer. So I'm not really changing anything drastically. I'm just altering the flow of battle. Because as you just said, if you sit there missing all night, it gets really frustrating, it's boring. Hitting and missing is part of the game, but you don't want it to be all successes or all failures. You want to keep everyone entertained and in that sweet spot. For me, there's like an inverse relationship that I find as a DM, it's easier for me to fight against the players with one big creature, you know, one big monster that they all attack. It's easier for me to stay engaged and make that attack interesting and, and role play out the roles or uh, otherwise just, you know, emote and gesticulate and keep people interested in what I'm doing. But then therein lies the problem that to make it tougher, you either have to give it a ton of hit points you have to give it some special attacks. You have to do these other things, which can make that fight draw out. And even if people are hitting, if you give them too many hit points, it just drags on and it just gets to the point where, okay, I swing and I hit, I swing and I hit, and I swing and I hit. That stops being fun. I think the, the better answer, in theory, is to have two or three smaller sets of monsters and possibly divide up in the types, kind of like what 4th edition does. You could have like a solo brute that the, the fighter and the barbarian are attacking. You could have a couple archers off on the flank that the rogue has to sneak over to. You could have a wizard that the spellcaster in your party is trying to counterattack their spells. That allows everybody to have a, have a piece of the puzzle that more fits their character concept, but it's just harder to run. I think it's a lot more fun as a player to do that. It feels a lot more rewarding because then you can do those things where you don't play to the DM's expectations, and that is a player where okay, the DM expects that the barbarian and the fighter are going to attack the giant ogre while the rogue goes after the, the archers and the wizard fights the other wizard. And then you mess with that and say, okay, the wizard attacks the ogre, the fighter goes against the wizard, the other spellcaster, and you know, and you, well, in that case, the rogue's still going after the archers. But by playing with the expectations, that's where some strategy can come in, make it fun for the player. But you are it's just as a DM, I find a lot of difficulty in running that well because I get caught up. I forget to roll attacks. I forget to role play. I, I'm, all my brain power is used up trying to manage the game that I think I do a less good job of you know, interacting with the players and making that a fun combat, though it, it should be more rewarding on paper. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. The players want to be entertained. They want to have options. So it's usually more fun to have a lot to do on the battlefield than the old Final Fantasy two sides face off. There's one big monster. Everyone lines up and hits it until it's dead. That type of battle is much easier for us as human people with a lot going on at the table to manage. If there's just one dragon or one beholder, sure, they might have a lot of abilities, and maybe you could throw in some environmental effect, but it's still one guy versus your party. Having a couple mobs out there, some fighters, some spell slingers in the back, someone hiding in a cave that pops out halfway through the battle, that type of thing keeps it interesting. And... Going back to what we were saying originally, doing that type of thing 
is what can make an encounter more exciting, more interesting, and more threatening, more risky, more realistic. Sure, everyone, every enemy they fight might have only have five hit points, but you spring attack a couple guys, they sneak out in the middle, there's an ambush. You know, you mix up that kind of thing. Or there's a tree falling over, or there's a lava pit or a spike trap in the middle of the combat encounter. That type of thing keeps it going. But then we have a lot more to handle from a GM standpoint. And I, I think if we were talking to uh, the angry GM about this, he would yell at us for just not being good enough to do our jobs. That's kind of his thing. <laughs> I know I personally am, am bad at that. I like having a lot to do on the battlefield and in an encounter. I do not mind having a ton of bad guys to fight. A lot of times I will even uh, let them each roll uh, initiative independently as opposed to kind of fudging and saying all the bad guys go like this. Because I'm usually pretty good at handling a lot, but then I let some things falter. I don't really roleplay as much, and I don't let the players drive and narrate the story like I should. And That's I, just I think there's a, there's a balance in there, again, as a, trying to think of it as a player, because I, I got to play tonight in the Star Wars game, so I'm kind of in a player mindset versus a, a DM mindset at the moment. Well, if we're in a story-focused game and we care about what's going on, and the battle means something. It's not just an encounter to waste some resources. It's not just an encounter so that we get to level up. If it's an encounter that we initiated because we chased someone down or, or there was a betrayal, you know, a million different reasons why this is a battle that means something, then I think I'm okay with the DM relaxing a little bit on some of those role-playing aspects and, and make it more gamey because I really want to win. This, this is an important battle for me. And so it's kind of moving more into a strategic mindset of using good tactics. I think I'm still going to have a lot of fun doing that because I want to win so bad. If this is just sort of a random encounter or just like the, you know, hey, this, here's a, you know, two ogres that are walking through the woods. They're in your way. You, don't, you want to kill them? Sure. Then if, if that was run, I won't say poorly, but if it was ran low key, I would probably start to question while we're even doing it, you know, let's just go around them. I think in the best case scenario is it's a battle that means something. You're invested in the story, and the DM continues to run it at a high level with a lot of energy. And you know that will be like an epic battle that I will remember for a long time. But I think you can cheat a little bit if you've done a good job setting it up that it doesn't necessarily have to be 100% all the time on the tracks. But, but I think that in best case scenario all the way around is, again, that it's both. I've messed around with environmental effects a couple times, tried to have battles out in, like, raging storms so that uh, characters wearing armor or carrying swords, I would have, like, a random chance that lightning would strike. Uh, I've had mobile platforms so that characters have to jump around. Sometimes they'll, they'll be fighting someone, and then the platforms will separate, and they can no longer attack who they were attacking, and then they get reshuffled. So you're sort of randomizing who's next to each other each round. Again, in theory, it sounds fun. A video game probably would be great, but running at the table, sometimes it just gets so convoluted that it doesn't work very well. Yeah, that's the kind of thing that I fall prey to as well. You know, I had... I've had plenty of ideas that fell through because I just could not figure out an easy way to manage the combat. You know, moving platforms. The PCs are on a raft or a boat in, in the middle of a giant river and the current keeps taking in different directions. Or even more fanciful things are on the planes. Like, you know, there's, they're on the, the plane of 
whatever, el the elemental plane of fire or something, and they have to find safe spots to stand and deal with fireballs and whatever's out there. And in my head, I can see ways to build platforms and like use my old Legos or connects or try to get some sort of creative situation going. And then when I sit down and try to look at the rules or carry it out, it just never works out right. And I'm worried that if I kind of half-ass it and ask the players to participate and lend a hand and use that suspension of disbelief, it's just not going to carry out the way I want it to. And it's going to turn what I think, what I envision as a really fun encounter into a chore or something that just falls apart. It just kind of wrecks the fun of the evening. And ultimately, we just all want to sit there and have fun. Do we want to mess with a giant set piece that has all these moving parts and is crazy? Or do we just want to throw down in a tavern and, and punch some guys in the face? <laughs> but I, I mean, I am conflicted that I agree with you that, you know, we're here, whether you're playing in real life or over the Internet, you are investing time with people who are likely your friends or at least your roleplay friends. You know, you're giving up time away from other things that you could be doing, friends or other family, or family or other friends, I should say. You know, you, you want to have fun. And I think the DM's job at the end of the day is more than anything is to help provide a environment that is fun. I don't think it's their job to present fun because that's players, you know, have equal share in that as well. Again, that's really kind of getting off on a side topic. But the, the, the thing is, I guess to circle back around because we want to get into the other topic is don't be afraid to experiment with things to keep the game interesting. I would start small, particularly if you're a newer DM. Uh, you know, if you're if you normally have them fight two bugbears in the forest, have them fight two bugbears and two goblins. Maybe the goblins are archers in a tree, just to see how they deal with that. Give the you know give the chance for the barbarian to hit the tree and cause the goblins to fall, because that's awesome. Or uh, you know that would be a, a use of like a mage hand spell where they move a branch and cause the goblins to fall. I think those type of complications are where creative players really get to shine. If you're just in a square 12 by 12 foot room, three of them, three of you, and you're just swinging your swords until the other side's dead, it's a more of a math game, and that's where the min-maxing and character creation comes in, and there's a part of that that's fun. But for me, the story aspects outweigh, and I want those interesting things to play with, whether it's a storm that's brewing, a brazier, a stairway, a pit, a chandelier. At some point, of course, I'm going to swing across that don't be afraid to sprinkle one or two of, the, two of those things in to see what your players do with it. And I, I think those will be moments that will live on. But at the end of the day, it sucks to miss. So if you have to cheat to make the encounter more difficult, I would go with hit points over armor class or some sort of resistance, uh, maybe even like a magical resistance that you have to hit with a magic item, so maybe only a couple of the characters can do that. The other characters are on doing something else if they don't have a magical weapon. But the downside of making an encounter difficult is sometimes you make it too difficult or more difficult than you expected, and bad things happen. And what are those bad things, Caleb? We're talking much. about a PC dropping off the face of the earth. Regardless of what rule set you're using, at some point your PC faces death. Now whether you get there simply by dropping to zero, whether you fail a bunch of death saving throws, whether there's some sort of uh, constitution or statistical check involved, the risk of death I'm going to say needs to be there on a regular basis. 
see, this is interesting, and um, th there's like three or four different angles to this conversation, and I don't know if we're going to get to all of them or not. But the original reason I wanted to talk about this was I was listening to another podcast uh, that I really like, uh, Sharkbone. If you haven't listened to it, it, uh, it actually aired its last episode last week. They're still available on iTunes and on the website, but they're not making any more of them. And uh, they were talking about a game called Seventh Sea, which I've never played before, but it's like a swashbuckling pirate game. And within the rules of that game, the way they explained it, it's almost impossible for a PC to die outside of a story death. So, like, if they're trying to save the princess and they have to do this thing that's pretty much like the DM says, okay, if you do that, you're going to die, they can choose to let that happen. Say, okay, well, I will sacrifice myself, enable for this to happen. But outside of that, if they're defeated in combat, they're assumed to have gone unconscious. And that's just pretty much it. They're unconscious. So unless the bad guys just truly want to kill them, and, you know, as a DM, you're making a choice that there's, there's a reason why the characters just go unconscious, and that's pretty much just the way it works. And that got me thinking about the role that death plays in our games that we play anymore, and, and just kind of like on a high level, like what is the point of PC death? Because you and I have talked a lot about the show Supernatural, and that's one of our, both of our favorite shows. Sam and Dean die all the time, but they, they're like freaking comic book characters. They're, they're going to come back the next week or the next couple episodes. So if, you know, if, if Supernatural was an old-school D&D game, Dean would have died in the second episode, and Sam would have died three weeks later, and then all of a sudden, before the end of Season 1, you're playing with their cousins because you had to roll new characters and bring them in. So is it like why do we even have death in the game why not let the characters be semi immortal so the continuity of the story you know yeah it's a little bit cheesy but again you don't want Sam and Dean to die you you want them to be there so again there's multiple angles I want to take with this conversation but I think for me I'm starting to kind of think that maybe I would want to do something in my game where outside of story based reasons I don't want my characters to die I'll let you weigh in there for a second yeah this is such a, a tough topic. It's another one of those where everyone is really opinionated and really polarized. Um, we've gotten a lot of good feedback so far over on Reddit, and I think we've got a, a couple good comments over on Facebook as well. If I remember correctly, the rule in 7th C specifically says a character cannot die unless a named NPC kills it, saying you're not going to name Johnny Thug over at the bar, they're going to name the guards or the king someone important. And, and it goes along with what we're saying. What's more important? Is it the experience? Is it the story? You know, is it watching this character do things? Or is it simply the fun you're having at the table adventuring? You know, if, if you're really invested in your character, yeah, you don't want to see that character die unless it's meaningful or an, at least until that character has accomplished his or her goal. But on the flip side, if you're just a type of player who likes the thrill of adventure and wants to put character X in this situation and character Y in that situation and see what happens and doesn't have a legitimate investment in that character's story or role-playing, then who cares if you die? Now, I will find it interesting to note that back in some old second edition and early 
third edition games, back when I was in college, death happened every single session. And it was, hey, you're dead, too bad. Uh, does the party have enough to res you? Uh, I had clerics that died a handful of times. One of my friends played a monk every single game. He insisted on playing the Vow of Poverty, and he insisted on being the first to rush headlong into combat for whatever reason. Now, I will say that he was playing his character, who was lawful good and devoted to saving everyone, really, really well. But he was also the first one to die every single session. So here, again, I have so many thoughts on this, and I, I, I should stop saying that and just say them, I guess. But <laughs> I think part of this is age. All right, so I think mm. part of it for me is it's so difficult for me to role play now compared to like when I was in high school when we would play for the entire weekend. We'd play 36 hours taking naps in the middle. Or we would play in college where we would like take the weekend and just you know basically play for like 24 hours or 48 hours. I think when I had all that time, it wasn't a big deal for character death. It was interesting. It kept it from getting boring. Someone played a fighter for a couple levels, and they were ready for changing anyway. Like, hey, I, you know, I kind of want to try a monk out, so when this guy dies, I'll play a monk. It wasn't a big deal. I think now that it's so difficult for me to get that time away from the family, away from the job, you know, the commitment that I don't want to have to deal with a dead character either as a player or as a DM is it, it takes time away that we, okay, you don't get to play now. Like, you know, if it's 10 minutes into the first session, or the session, and your character dies, do we stop and wait for you to bring another character in? Do we just say, sorry, you're dead, you, you know, you can just sit and hang out for the night? We, you know, the, probably the best thing to do would be give them an NPC to play, but that's kind of teasing itself. Do they just rush and make a new character that's a lot like their old one? So then again, you have the story cheese of, Look, it's my brother who I come to avenge his death and join you on your righteous cause. So there's there's no great answer there. So it's just better in some ways if they just don't die. For me, I think that's part of the the, the age. Like if I was still in high school and college, I probably would be like, no, fuck them, they're dead. And I've said before on here many times, I don't I don't like resurrection in the games. I've really I've pretty much outlawed resurrection in my D and D games because I think if you die, you should be dead. It should mean something. And so now I've completely changed, and now I'm thinking like. Well, do, do I even want their characters to die at all? So one of the story ideas I had that I think I talked to you about is I wanted to run a game where I was going to have each of the players write some sort of semi-cryptic prophecy about the death of their character. Whether you know it could be a poem, it could be a song, a limerick, just images, but it, it wouldn't be something like, my character is going to die on the fifth day of March eaten by a bear. It had to be something that was open to interpretation. And then what I wanted to do was to, to, to randomize them so that everybody who wrote their prophecy would not get their own prophecy. And then I only let my characters die if the prophecy was fulfilled. So every time you went into a battle, you know, if someone says, you know, there's like a crow will fly at the time of my death, as a DM, I could be like, yeah, there's some crows nearby. So whoever has that prophecy would be like, oh, wait, I could die here. And I just, I could see that being fun, but it's gimmicky, so I don't know how long it would be fun. But that's something I started thinking about is having each player could only die in certain situations, similar to 7C, that, you know, if you're fighting the guy in the bar, it's just going to be a fist fight. And, you know, you might get knocked unconscious, but you're not going to lose your character over it. So, again, this is another one of those crazy angles. So what would you think about that as a player if you had a prophecy that was sort of semi-cryptic 
but the only way you could die is if this prophecy was fulfilled. Would that make it fun, or would it just be a hassle to try to keep up and figure out if it matters? See, I, I've been thinking about this ever since you brought it up online the other day. I think it has a lot of potential in the right game and the right context with the right players. Because it's really easy to abuse that, and it's really easy to get frustrated by it. I mean, let's say, let's just run with your quick little example. My character will only die when a crow flies overhead. Okay, well, I'm going to then start anytime anyone rolls initiative, anytime there's a potentially dangerous situation, the first words out of my mouth will be, is there a crow flying overhead? Every single time. So my focus is going to be on that instead of the situation. Now, I could roleplay that really well and have it be that, oh, my character is always looking to the sky and he's a little distracted, but then he comes in with this great hit. You know, there's a way to roleplay it. There's a way to make it a worthwhile investment of my resources and my the opportunities I'm presented, but it can also just evolve to, is there a crow? Yes or no? Yes. Well, shit. I'm going to hang back and not do anything. No. I'm going to rush headlong and not care about my actions because I know I can't die. Now, from the GM side of the screen, you've got to define how nasty you want to be about this. Is this a literal crow? Is it a crow literally flying? Do you say, no, there is not a crow flying, but then halfway through the battle, you reveal that one of the rogues is from the Crow clan out east, and he his favorite style of fighting is by jumping through the air and landing on your face with a dagger. Does that mean the same thing? Is it a 50-50 chance? Do you roll, yes, there's a crow flying, or no, there's not a crow flying? Going back to what we said earlier about throwing too much into the encounter for us to deal with, if you've got even just four players with you, and each of them has one of these unique features, you need to have a list of what the player is, what their prophecy is, how many times has it popped up, why is it popping up, is it just a thing that happens, are you working it into the story, have you figured this out ahead of time, are you just improving the whole thing as you go? There's... Well, to, to jump in there, because I agree with you, but one of the things I was thinking, one... With the crow thing, just as an example, I also think you could do that with like a standard. You know, maybe you're going yeah. into battle and you realize, oh wait, they're a mercenary and their standard is a crow. There's all these flags flapping in the wind with crows on them. Um, and there's also a weapon, isn't there? A, it's called the Beck de Corbin. Yeah, there's some sort of weapon that's basically sort of like a sickle, but it's called the Beak of the Crow, is what it translates to. So maybe you're fighting an enemy that has that. But my thought would be to do them kind of like icons in 13th Age. So at the beginning of every session, you would roll like a d6, and if you get like a 1, that's bad for you, then you know your prophecy will definitely come up. Or maybe if you get a 6, you learn something about your prophecy, and it becomes less cryptic. So over time, it, wouldn't, it would be a little bit different. And again, that's just sort of spitball on that as we go. Yeah. This, this is a really great idea, and it's a great way to incorporate and recognize the different aspects and the different impact of death in the game. I, I think as a GM with this concept, you have to be really careful not to just throw the cheap reveal 
at your player. Don't let them just walk into battle and then blindside them as the killing blow is struck. Oh, guess what? Blah, blah, blah. I'm counting this as a crow flying. But on the flip side of that, just to contradict myself, that would be a really intense moment in the game. I mean, if you had uh, a player who had researched and, and knew about the prophecy, you could just be blindsided. You could have missed something. You could not be prepared. You know, it's not a carte blanche to just do whatever. Even if you learned about the prophecy, there's still something that could take you completely by shock. And that cliffhanger season finale moment, hey, guess what? You're really dead. Sorry. That's huge. I think, oh, yeah. But I, but I think that the benefit of that is the suspense. Like, I think that's where the mileage in that type of a gimmick or mechanic would be is, for example, the crow where you, you know, you're hired by the king or the noble to fight the mercenary or whatever, the, the barbarians in the hills. And it's, it's only after you've accepted the job and you're on the way that someone's like, yeah, we're going to go fight the crow clan. Is a bunch of barbarians that worship the crow, and their leader is called the crow. And then you're like, oh shit, you know, this this could be it. And that anticipation, that dread, and that buildup was where you would get some good role play and get get a good story meet, rather than like you said, the sort of twist, like, aha, this is the crow. I mean, uh, but you could still do it both ways. But to me, that that would be the fun, is especially if it's really cryptic. Like the crow fly is even kind of specific. It could be more like, uh, you know, the king of the jungle or the king of the land, snow falling, red streaks, whatever. I mean, it could be very, very cryptic, and it turns out it's like a storm, that, you know, like a summer storm squall that comes out of nowhere. And I think part of the fun would be people trying to figure out, is this the prophecy or not? So every time something happens, but again, it could be fun or it could just be a gimmick that people get tired of and, I don't know, so I'm still debating on whether or not I will actually do this, but I thought it was an interesting idea. Something you might try, because it is, I mean, let's be honest, it is kind of a gimmick to the game. Now, the nice thing about D&D is the world and the rules are so wide, it lets you put anything you want into that rule structure. Maybe this is the kind of thing that you want to experiment in a game where only one character has this and you actually ask one of your players who you know is a great role player and a great improviser to say, hey, do you mind testing this out? Let's play around with this. I want you to really push the limits on this and see what you can do. And maybe there, there'd be an interesting way that player could reveal some new facts or something new that we could try on this. That would um, make a great one unique thing for a 13th Age game. Definitely, yeah. Uh, my character knows the prophecy of his death and can only die when this is coming around, that kind of thing. I will say it's interesting that back when we were younger playing and we just kind of took death as part of the character, that was when video games were all about extra lives and really dying and having to start over. And now with the current era of near immortality, extra healing, resing being less of a feature of the game, now we're in the era where every video game just has save points, health just regenerates constantly. It's just an interesting correlation. And I agree, and I think part of that is is the fun quotient, that it's 
you know, there's a sense of accomplishment that comes with beating a game like Rygar. If you're under 20, you have no idea what I'm talking about. It, it's, a, it's a medieval RPG type game from the original NES that had no save feature. And I had to leave my TV and my Nintendo running for like 48 straight hours Oh yeah, uh, to beat that game, and I, I did. <laughs> I remember those days. Yeah, but again, is that as much fun as just dropping into like a 16-player match of Halo, and every time you die, you respawn? You know, and the argument can be made that it depends on the DM, it depends on the player, it depends on the group. Some groups probably want to play where death is death, and you know you get punished for bad rolls or punished for failure. You're rewarded for system mastery and tactics, and that's fun. Absolutely. I just think that in my career currently as a DM and with my players, I kind of like the idea that death not being so easy. And because I think I know I've said this on this podcast before, I've had a lot of games where I start with the players or even the PC starting as kids or nobodies or farmers, and I want to do that hero's journey. But then what happens when one of them dies? It kind of screws the whole thing. I mean, I've had dozens, if not hundreds, of campaigns that have come to an end because of a party getting killed, a TPK, or even just one character dying that kind of screws up the story. So rather than continuing with you know Landfill 2, we just start a new game. If death wasn't really an option or it was a lot more difficult, it would have been easier just to say, oh, well, they're really wounded. You know, They lose an arm or something but they survived and carry on. So, so I don't know. I said I'm so conflicted on this topic on whether or not I want to keep death as I always have in my game or modify it. And I'm not saying like immortality because there are players that would just screw with that and it's like, I'm going to go jump in the dragon's mouth because I'm immortal. <laughs> and that's not fun. That, that's kind of, you know, it's kind of a cheat. So death can't be completely removed, but I do like the idea of it only happening in certain situations, you know, main bad guys, story reasons versus just random stuff. So the other thing that, that kind of happened recently, another podcast that I was listening to, and this was an actual play, there was a character that died. They were climbing, and they failed their climb check, and they died. That was pretty much it. They were climbing, they fell, and they died. And at the time, I thought, God, that that really sucks that, you know, there's this character that I've become invested in and listened to this podcast for 40, 50 episodes, and they're just gone because of a bad climb roll. But at the same time, that is so memorable compared to the ways that you normally die because you're fighting two goblins. And so I, I sent it, uh, the tweet out, I put it on Facebook, and I even on Google Hangouts, and I started asking people, hey, you know, we're looking for examples of deaths of, of characters. We're looking for really funny, hilarious ones, or we're looking for really cool, heroic ones. And about 9 to 1, the people who responded was the terribly hilarious funny deaths. Like, there were only a couple heroic deaths, which tell me those are the ones people remember. I mean, it's it's true. I can't think of... Well, I take that back. I have, I have one moment in one of my characters that was truly a heroic action he took, and it was also simultaneously an accidental death. And I've told the story before, the... Uh, the, the cleric of Palor I had, uh, where he was facing off a, against a a bard who was three times his level, and the cleric stood up to try to sway the crowd against these bard this bard's machinations. The bard attacks and crits, 
And it was one of those moments where the GM's face just dropped at the table. And he's like, uh, yeah, sorry, you're dead. <laughs> and it ended up working out. He had to rewrite part of the story to accommodate me dying because my character needed to be alive. And that's going to go back to yet another topic we've talked about in the past. When one of those unpredictable roles happen, specifically about death in this case, do you let it happen? Do you flub the role? What do you do? I mean, do you as a GM, you're kind of the little god of your own game. Do you say, ah, that wasn't a 20, it was only a 5? Or do you say, nope, 20's on the die, this is what happened. I mean, we're talking about what's organic in the pretend world, and if that's the case, then death should be a part of it, unless right. magic is everywhere. We're talking about what's organic in following the rules in the real world and our suspension of disbelief as we're playing this game but also playing pretend. It's part of one of the things that makes D&D so fun is that you can just go crazy analyzing all this minutia or just roll some dice and have some fun. Who cares? Right. So what I, I mean, in practical terms, what I have been doing here recently is if it's not necessarily combat roles like, you know, bluff checks, climb checks, lock picking, I often will roll those behind the screen, giving me the chance to come up with a whatever I think the most appropriate response is, the most drama, the most interesting uh, response. But if it's combat, I've actually started rolling that out in, in front of the table because I think it does amp up the attention at the table, particularly if there's a character that's getting close to death or they're fighting the big bad and they don't know how tough it is in that first swing where I roll and um, and it hits them, then uh, it, it, you know, it it bring, gets everyone's attention at the table. One of the more recent A New World games that I'm editing right now, I was rolling behind the, the screen, and I, I rolled an attack, and I said, okay, I got a 27. And Nico's like, I hope you rolled a 20, because if you didn't and you still got a 27, we're all going to die. <laughs> so in that case, the fact that they didn't know what I actually had rolled to get that high added to the tension as well. And I, I think those are some things that you can manipulate as a, as a GM to get the effect that you want. But, uh, you know, again, we had a, a fantastic podcast with the, the Angry DM. He actually did a different podcast with NPC Cast. One of the things that he said was pretty interesting is that if a character dies in his game, it's always their choice. And what he meant by that, the way he explained it was, for example, in like the uh, fourth edition D&D where you have to roll death saves, he allows the player to roll that to themselves. He doesn't check it. He doesn't ask them. And it just comes down to the point where when someone goes to save them, he says, are you still alive or did you die? And they have the option of saying whatever they want. He doesn't know. He doesn't care. So if the player wants to flub the, and say, oh, yeah, I made all my death saves. I'm still alive. Okay. Or if the player says, no, I failed you know, three minutes ago. I'm, I've been dead for three minutes. Okay. So I think that's kind of an interesting way to handle it. And, uh, and the point of that conversation was he doesn't tell them that. He doesn't say explicitly when when death is around, it's your choice. Just the way he rolls his game, he doesn't announce that. He says, okay, you need to make a death save, and then he just moves on rather than just sitting and watching to see what the result is. And he just says, okay, you know, that now someone's got to you, what happened? So I just found that a, a very interesting take on it for someone who is very brutal with their combat, but he still really puts death in the corner of the player. They can pretty much decide whether they died or not no matter what side of this argument you're on, no matter what your feelings are, the biggest point of this is is how much fun are you taking away from the moment? How much entertainment 
are you gaining from this? So if we're talking about you can't die unless this prophecy is fulfilled, is that more fun for the player? Is that more fun for the GM? If only a good story or heroic moment will result in a potentially true death, what level of fun are you getting out of that? Is that fun because you know you have a little bit of freedom in doing things stupid? A little bit of freedom in knowing a one on the die is not necessarily going to end your career? Or do you get more fun from the risk of, I don't know what's going to happen. I could have a potentially awesome character who's on this great heroic journey killing dragons, and he slips and breaks his neck. Is that fun for you? Is that fun for the people with you? Is that fun for the GM? What kind of story are you going to get? What kind of memory are you going to get? No matter what way you want to play out this debate, as long as everyone's on the same side of it at the table, you'll be okay. If everyone wants to play, hey, yeah, no one can die unless it's a named NPC and it's our, our, uh, our prophecy, or throw caution to the wind, anybody can die whenever, and it's permanent, too bad, roll a new character. As long as everyone's prepared for that, and they're, they're in with that rule, the game will go smoothly. You just have to know what you want to do. And, and I agree, and I think what I would say is that needs to be part of the conversation when you start a new game. And we've said this before, I, I mean, I've become a fan of that first session character creation, campaign creation type thing from Fate, where you sit around and say, okay, you know, what kind of game do you guys want? What kind of players do you want? And I, I think now that when I have those conversations, I'm going to say, how do you guys feel about character death? Do you want it to be something that could just happen because you fell one skill check? Or does it have to be story-focused? Does it have any named NPCs? Like, what do you guys want to do? And I, I think that's just, that's like you said, that's the conversation that should be had. As long as everyone's on board, then you're good to go. And you may have a group that says, hey, you know, I, I like the idea that going every, every time I fight anybody, I could die. It makes the game more fun for me. It keeps me invested in my character. And it makes me feel more successful when I survive great. Or you say, you know, hey, we're, we're playing this game kind of like a supernatural show. You know, we're the good guys and we want some bad stuff to happen, but we don't want our characters to die unless it's the series finale. Cool. I'm on board with that too. So I think just going forward, that's going to be a conversation I'm going to have with my players to see what they want to do. So Something the other thing, we just to, again, because we could talk about death, death and die, <laughs> I think, for days if we really wanted to, is we're going to say the death is on the table, whether it's uh, only by prophecy, only by named NPCs, or just you fail a spot check and run into a wall and kill yourself. If a character dies, how do you deal with that? One, as the player at the table, the, the group, and then secondly, as like a DM, how do you bring in a replacement character? Do you bring in a replacement character? Do you start them at the same level? You know, is there any sort of punishment for failure, like your character died, everyone's at third level, you have to come in at second because you died. Or do you get to come in at third level with the same amount of gold and magic items? So in your experience, Caleb, what have you generally done? And then has it changed? Do you do anything differently now? Well, I've got to say in the past, we've always brought in a replacement character at the same level. And that was pretty much exclusively to make the math easier of encounters. Because back in old 2nd and 3rd edition, you'd have to balance out the, the encounter based on the average level of the characters. 
and if you have a couple guys up at six and a couple guys down at two, it totally screwed up the encounter chart. Of course, that's because we were playing exactly by the book as it was written. We weren't kind of playing in the feel of the game. But we, we just kept everyone at the same level just to make it easy. More recently, honestly, it just hasn't come up. In any of our games, we unfortunately play so infrequently that no one's ever gotten to a, a crossroads of are you going to die or are you not going to die. You know, We're just kind of in the thick of the adventure and we're having fun and we haven't gotten to that dramatic possibility yet. I would say for the most part, it boils down to how you want to have fun at the table. And if that player is not going to have fun by bringing in a lower level character, I mean, don't penalize them. Don't take away from their enjoyment. But if that player says, oh, oh yeah, let me, let me roll up someone who's lower level and have to kind of earn his chops with the rest of the party, or if he has a really good story explanation as to why his new character is the same level or lower level, let him roll with it. Yeah, I would agree. I think that the players should have some input. But, you know, again, I'm, I'm like you. When I first started, which I, I think I started either earlier than you or longer ago than you, depending on how you look at that. <laughs> same um, Exactly. Uh, same thing. If, if the party was six levels, someone died, they started his first level because that's what the rule said. And they had to find a way to survive so that they would level up. And usually they leveled up faster because it's easier to go from first to fifth than it is from fifth to sixth. Right. But at the same time, that also is one of those things, well, but is that fun? You know, you're punishing the person. They already got punished. Their character's dead. They have to start over. Then on top of that, you screw them. So the chances of them dying again are higher. And I think, you know, going back to what the rules were trying to accomplish in the earlier versions of D&D and similar role-playing games, it makes sense. But from a, from a standpoint today, like you said, going back to a video game, if you're playing a game, you know, I use Mass Effect a lot because I love that game, if your character died and you had to restart, but you started it like at a lower level, lower abilities, that would suck. You don't want to do that. That's not fun. So I think for me, and I'm with you, it actually hasn't happened. As someone, I, you know, I do a lot of story-focused games. They're not a lot of combat, but I've always been pretty strict that if you're dead, you're dead, no resurrections. I haven't had a lot of deaths lately. So maybe I've subconsciously been making that, that choice and haven't realized it yet about wanting to have less death because of the fun factor. But if I do have deaths, I let them bring it at the same level, same equivalent. Of, you know, if everyone in my party has two magic items, which is rare because I never give out magic items, but if, say, they did, then the new character would get two as well. For me, it's more of a concern about how do I bring them in without just, you know, derping the story, which is why a lot of my games just stop when I have someone who dies because it's, it's easier just to start over a new game than to try to figure out, okay, I have the four prophecy, you know, children of light, and now one of them's dead. So kind of hard to bring in another character. So a lot of times I'll just, my games would end. But I tried to make them, I would try my best to make it a story moment if I could. I, I don't like just the, you know, I, my brother died in your service, I would like to take his place. I don't really like doing those types of things. So I try to find a way story-wise that would uh, bring someone in. The most recent examples that I can pull from weren't from character deaths, but in the Made Men games, we had two new players that joined in as we were going. The first one was Travis, who I basically used his character to solidify the time travel element. So it basically he, he allowed me to, to talk about the story by his character coming in, 
and he was instantly attached to their characters because of that. So that was a reason why they would continue to play together or, or adventure together. And then when we brought Nick's character in, he was part of a, a resistance force that the other characters weren't aware of to begin with, but whose goals were aligned. So he was sort of brought in to help them from his side. And then once things started getting crazy, he was already working with them and it went on. So in both cases, I was able to bring in a, a new character to the game and it fit with the story very well, and it added to the story in both cases rather than just being a, hey, ho, ho, I'm a new character. <laughs> well, I, in the past when we've talked about some of the negative aspects of writing a dedicated plot versus just kind of a free-flow sandbox game, this is one of the times where I will agree with the people who say you should never write a story or write a plot because... If you need four people to complete this mission and one of them is dead, you just screwed over your game. So at that point, do you end the game? Do you just say, oh, well, it could have also been this guy or or what? It's very difficult. I think there's lots of ways to get around that, though. I mean, let's go, let's say, four warriors of light have to kill the vampire, and one of them is dead, and death is death, and they're gone. There's no way to get it back. Well, now you have these three characters remaining who have to figure out some way to accomplish the same goal or at least live with the consequences of not fulfilling their goal. So there's a lot of role-playing there and if as the GM you're willing to work with that and maybe scrap your original story but keep the core elements there, you can keep going just with some heavy modifications. Let's go back to Supernatural real quick. You know, when Sam's dead, Dean has to figure out how to accomplish the mission or get on with his life. And there's a lot of character development and a lot of changes that happen there. But the story keeps going. It's not like the Supernatural didn't end the first time Sam or Dean died. We wouldn't be in Season 9 by now with 10th Renewed and a spinoff being written. There, there's ways to do it, but it's not easy. And it probably requires a little bit more cooperative storytelling than you might be prepared for. So yeah, I, I think would... the, the dichotomy comes from, from a player standpoint, I want to get my new character into the game as soon as possible. From the DM standpoint, though, I don't want to make it silly and hurt the story that I'm trying to tell. And from the, like another player, like the rest of the party's standpoint, I, I mean, I've had that situation where the players are like, well, we don't know this guy. Why would we trust him? We're on this super secret mission for the king. We're undercover. This guy just showed up. Why would we tell him what we're doing? So usually it came down to, okay, you, you would have a fight so that this guy could help you, and that's the quickest way to earn trust. But then that becomes cliche. So I just think it when you're trying to replace a character, there's I think in some cases it's just easier for everyone to say, we know this is the new character. We're going to have to just make some exceptions. And as a DM, even though I love to tell deep stories or try to tell these deep stories, that's a moment where I just have to suck it up and go, okay, here's the new guy for the fun at the table. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of times we just have to say, hey, you know what? We're really playing the game. And if Tim let his character die accidentally and Tim wants to keep playing, here's Tim's new character. Keep going, you know? And give it a at least a somewhat of an attempt to, to work him into the story. And maybe the story element comes up later. 
I mean, maybe you say, oh, shit, Tim's guy is dead. Okay, Tim, roll up a new character, put him in the battle, or put him in the next battle, and the story comes later. I mean, maybe you guys, as you're improving and role-playing, a, a deeper, more cool reason does pop up. It's not like you have to stop the game and rewrite a couple pages of your novel to, to work it in. Let it flow naturally. Yeah, I mean, I do retcon quite a lot of my games already. Maybe you just throw him in without a story. He's there, and then you worry about that later. Because, again, that would be the probably the more fun way to do it because you're not really losing anything. And you could even do that, maybe some of that off the table through email, that kind of thing, so that you're not losing any time at the table and you try to figure out, okay, so why is this guy here? Maybe even jump ahead like four months. You know, as soon as Tim dies, even if it's in the middle of the battle, you're just like, okay, you survived that battle, but Tim's dead. And then four months later, you find yourself, you're, you're in a temple of the snake people, and you're rolling, you're in combat, here's the new character. And then after that battle, you work backwards and go, okay, what happened in the last four months that brought this guy in? So that you can still do that. I, I guess why I really like the idea of that is, Rather than being at the table and a character going, well, I don't trust this guy, and having to have a couple of fights before you build trust, you could write that in 15 minutes and make it a cool story and make it interesting and have this how I slowly came to trust you rather than taking an hour at the table doing what's not fun to role play that out. I think that's definitely where you could hand wave and work backwards. I, think, I actually think that's a really good idea. That is a good idea. And that goes along with what you were saying earlier where due to our age, due to our experience and our hectic lives, we want to streamline and have as much fun as possible in the few hours we have when we can do that. So it's more fun to play the game, and if that means not dying, if that means squeezing a new character in and shoehorning him into the story, that's okay because it's more important to enjoy the time with your friends and family playing the game. So one of the things that always seemed to happen to me, again, back in my younger days, is when a character would die, the other PCs would just immediately scavenge the body. Like, before <laughs> yeah. the blood was even warm, you know, the cleric's like, I can heal him. Shut up. He has boots of, you know, striding. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, they would turn out the pockets, you know, anything magical, and then leave the body in a, just in the woods. And, again, as, as a, the DM who, who's trying to tell a coherent story, that just drove me crazy. And... Again, I think that just goes back to the age like I was playing with high schoolers and college students. Like, what the frack did I think was going to happen? <laughs> I think today at my table, if I were to have a death, I think it would be a big deal. I think people would probably, you know, I, I could actually see us playing out like a funeral scene where all the characters gave a small eulogy and you know, told their favorite story about that player or that character. I keep getting interchanging because I'm tired. But I, I just think I think the biggest difference for me is probably my age and the time commitment. So I, I'm sure there's people out there who disagree who are older than me who still like the hardcore gritty death is death. But for me, I, I think I'm kind of getting more and more towards uh, letting the characters live and fudging it for them unless it's a big moment rather than just rolling it out and see what happens. So I don't know. Like I said, I'm, I'm super conflicted. The yeah. other thing I'll, I'll say just to quickly, I'll kind of wrap my part up is one thing I've also noticed, and I think I've said this before almost like jokingly in passing, but it was true, is in my experience, if you have a character die, it usually happens one of two ways, is either one character dies or all the characters die. I can't think of many situations where like two died and two didn't or three did, you know. It just seemed like as soon as the first character died, everyone else was like, oh, shit, this is serious, and they either retreated or they took it seriously and worked together better. 
or you just swipe everyone out. I, I cannot remember, and I'm saying it didn't happen, but I can't remember a situation where it happened outside of one or all died. Yeah, I've, I'm kind of racked in my brain to think of that, and I can't pull anything specifically. Something else to consider, I've been thinking about as we were talking here, steal the idea of consequences from fate. You know, okay, your character, zero hit points, you lost the battle. Instead of being dead, take a permanent penalty. You got your leg chopped off. You lose some speed, you lose points. You got your arm cut off, your attack is lower. You still have that impact and that penalty of something terrible happening, but you're still playing. I think that's definitely a good way to go. I think there's even some alternate rules in some games. They talk about that lingering oh, wounds. Yeah. Yeah, uh, that is an option versus death. You could tell. You ask the player, okay, your choice. Is this character dead and you want a new one, or do you want me to roll on this chart and see what you lost? Oh, yeah, there's alternate rules for years about ways to do that. Or you can just make it up on the fly. Oh, we were fighting these orcs, and the orcs have giant axes. You could potentially be dead. He hit you with an axe. You probably chopped something off. You lost an arm. Neg two attacks forever. But then you become the one-armed barbarian, and that's awesome. That is awesome. That That is a story that will be told for years to come about the awesome right. one-armed barbarian who died in the next battle because he was one-armed. <laughs> but if he lives, then you've got an awesome story. You do have an awesome story. So that is definitely something to consider. Which one thing, this is jumping topics again, but I remember this was back in college where I thought it would be cool if one of my players got a wound like that. And it, it was more like a DM's decision. It's like, I just think it would be cool if one of the characters got an eye patch. So I basically just BS this whole situation so that one of the characters got shot in the eye because I wanted them to wear an eye patch because I thought that would be a cool character change. And I almost got into a fist fight with one of my best friends because he was so mad that I would arbitrarily make a decision about his character like that. So needless to say, that did not end well in any stretch. So I think if it had happened in combat and I had given him the option of, well, you just took an arrow to the face. Did this kill you? Or are we going to start calling you lefty? Uh, <laughs> but just because I said this archer jumps from the tree, shoots, and he hits you in the eye, putting your eye out, he didn't like that too much. I agree with him in that scenario. If you give him the option, that's great. If the player came to you ahead of time or emailed you and said, hey, I think it would be a cool development if my character had XYZ happen to him, and it's kind of permanent, but it's great for the story, can you make that happen? That would have been fine. That would have been a great element because he said, hey, I'd like to see this, and you gave it to him, but you might have put it in a unique or kind of twisted situation. So there's still some give and play back and forth. But again, it's all about everyone communicating and having fun and, and enjoying the game. Yeah, I think, too, the only thing that I don't control as the DM is your character and what your character does. Yeah. And if I start making arbitrary decisions about your character, then I have superseded my rights and roles and responsibilities, which is why I don't like to tell another character they're they're scared. You know, if they're fighting a monster with a fear effect, that's one thing. But if I put them in a situation where there's a hundred ogres surrounding them and there's no way to escape and they have to fight or die, I don't think I should tell the character you're scared. Because that's their choice. They could be crazy and maybe they're not scared. Yeah. But if I start saying, okay, well your character's you know, your leg falls off. Well well why? Well because I think it'd be cool if they called you stumpy. Then <laughs> I again I've overstepped my bounds and and I'm taking away from that player's, you know, that's that's their decision. What what happens to their character 
what their character does has to always be in the player's corner outside of like a fear effect or a magical spell that does that. And I think as a young DM, I try to do that too much because, again, my players wouldn't do what I wanted them to do because they were stupid and they wouldn't follow the plots that I wrote. Well, I think there is a place for a consequence like that, but it's not very often. You can give us feedback and comments at our website, dndacademy.com. You can check out previous podcasts at our website and subscribe to future ones on iTunes. If you have a suggestion for a topic, we'd love to hear it. Email your ideas to podcast at dndacademy.com, and you can connect with us on Twitter at dnd underscore academy. As always, thanks for listening, and remember, if you're having fun, you're doing it right.